the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, April 6, 2023. Our number is 602-508-0960. A few thoughts before we go into day two of Passover, Good Friday, and the Easter weekend. I attended the governor's prayer breakfast this morning. It's an annual event, and it was a delight and privilege to be there. You know who wasn't there? The governor. Well, this governor. I saw a former governor there. I saw Sheriff Penzone there. I saw our county attorney, Rachel Mitchell, there. I saw the legislature's leadership there. But I remain astounded how we just go through life with what Hadley Arcus once called exquisite rituals of essential meaninglessness. Nobody thought or said it was odd the governor wasn't there. At an annual ritual with her title and office, a part of it, in fact, the name of it. Oh, she had a representative there who addressed the audience. The two things I seized on from that representative speech were these two lines, quote, diversity is our strength, close quote, and then later a quote from Martin Luther King that, quote, there can be unity even though there isn't uniformity, close quote. I was seized mostly on the line that diversity is our strength. Does that mean anything? Or is it just required pabulum? Because I have to tell you, it rings to me about as meaningful as any given paragraph in a Michelle Obama book. Like this one, quote, when we are able to recognize our own light, we become empowered to use it. When we learn to foster what's unique in the people around us, we become better able to build compassionate communities and make meaningful change. One light feeds another. Nothing can dim the light that shines within. Close quote. We say... (laughs) We say these things. I mean, it's just... It's incredible. Huge bestseller. We say these things or utter them or read them and we're supposed to be what? Enlightened? This stuff is supposed to be enlightening? These are exquisite words of essential meaninglessness and we're all supposed to nod in agreement, even deeming it all with some brilliance, shall we say. I think it's dim. It is actually true. Is it actually true that diversity is our strength? The word diversity itself implies contrariness, and its etymology comes from the Latin diversus, meaning turned different ways. Now, I know we are a long way from that, but can we examine the point if only to rescue ourselves or be quit of these fillers of speechifying that mean absolutely nothing and sometimes are just simply not true? Do the law school students at Stanford believe it to be true? They had a federal judge come and speak to them and ran him out of town, censoring and shutting him down because he was, well, diverse from the orthodox viewpoint at Stanford when it came to imprisoned criminals being granted transgender rights. Maybe the Arizona governor's representative should have spoken to the students at Stanford Law School. Maybe they needed to hear that message or the faculty at ASU that didn't want Dennis Prager to address the students there earlier this year. I'm not one to usually quote Jonah Goldberg, but he got this right once upon a time, examining the question of whether it is true that diversity is our strength. He wrote, sometimes diverse stock portfolios are more resilient, diverse diets are healthier, 
But that doesn't mean picking bad stocks will make you richer, nor that eating spoiled food is good for you. I once heard the Reverend Jesse Jackson explain that racial integration of the NBA made it stronger and better, and he was right. But would gender integration of the NBA have the same effect? Would diversifying professional basketball by height have the same effect? Probably not. What of diversity in educational contexts? Are there two more elite places fusillading the wingspan of America than Harvard and Stanford? Harvard is being sued right now because of its cap on Asian students in favor of black students. Why cannot Asians ask for their strength? Jim Pearson has a fantastic analysis, writing, Harvard asserts in its brief to the Supreme Court that decades of experience and study prove that diversity leads to greater knowledge for everyone and promotes the tolerance and mutual respect that are so essential to the maintenance of our civil society. The Harvard brief goes on to say that Harvard's curriculum missions policies are, quote, designed to expose students to new ideas, new ways of understanding and new ways of knowing in and outside the classroom, close quote. The use of race as a factor in admissions, Harvard claims, is essential to the goal of recruiting classes of students with different backgrounds and experiences and a variety of different ideas, belief systems and racial identities. Diversity is a great success, says Harvard, such that its policies should be upheld by the court. This view is endorsed in amicus briefs submitted by many universities and advocacy groups. Students for fair admission, supporting the Asian students, that race or racial identity cannot be, should not be used as surrogates for anyone view, anyone's views, background, or outlook on the world, cited opinions by Chief Justice John Roberts, who wrote that, quote, it is a sordid business that's divvying us up by race, and by the late Justice Scalia, who wrote that discrimination on the basis of race is illegal, immoral, unconstitutional, inherently wrong, and destructive of democratic society. The Campaign for Diversity, moreover, has not promoted diversity of thought and robust exchange of ideas on campus, as Harvard claims it does, but rather the reverse, more uniformity of opinion and widespread contempt for First Amendment protections. Diversity, say the Asian Students Brief, has proven to be a disaster for higher education. In the midst of this controversy, news of the Stanford incident must have landed like an explosion in the conference room where Supreme Court justices debate pending cases and where they are now wrestling with the meaning of diversity and its supposed benefits for higher education, Jim Pearson puts it. If diversity is so important for freedom of thought and the robust exchange of ideas, why are students and administrators shutting down debate in the name of diversity? Why indeed are these attacks on the First Amendment led by deans of quote, diversity, equity, and inclusion, close quote. Debate and conflict are essential to our adversarial system of justice, yet the protesters at Stanford want to hear only from those who agree with them. That is not what diversity was supposed to encourage. For some justices, several of whom were members of the Federalist Society or who have spoken at events sponsored by the group, the Stanford episode may have provoked further skepticism about the diversity campaign on campus. Far from being beneficial, they may have concluded it has proven harmful to the purposes of higher education. The diversity campaign is turning colleges and universities into seminaries of intolerance, Pearson says. I would say so to our media. Is there one conservative contributor at CNN or MSNBC? One? One? I see an editor at the L.A. Times wrote a letter to 60 Minutes CBS saying they should not interview Marjorie Taylor Greene 
as they did this past Sunday. I guess the L.A. Times doesn't believe diversity is our strength, not for thought or race. Why do I say not even for race, which is what we thought diversity with the left was all about? Because when a black conservative ran for governor there in California from Los Angeles, they erased his race at the L.A. Times and called him the black face of white supremacy. In an odd way, what the L.A. Times was doing there was conceding implicitly and ignorantly to themselves, but conceding it nonetheless that diversity of thought does, in fact, matter. It matters so much they don't want it, even when it complies with their demands for diversity of race. What they said in condemning Larry Elder is that thought does matter, after all, and perhaps more than race, because Larry Elder was, after all, of the quote-unquote right race. More on Larry Elder in a moment. If you hammer down someone on what it means to say diversity is our strength, they will ultimately tell you it has nothing to do with diversity of thought, but of race or ethnicity or sexual identity. But the L.A. Times gives that game away. We are all sophisticated enough to understand we should not be in the business or practice of discrimination, of course. We used to call it inimical and invidious. I wonder if it applies to religion, too, though. If you are a certain school district in Phoenix, Arizona, the diversity of having teachers who are students at Arizona Christian University does not apply. And students from that school are banned in that certain Phoenix school district because of their school's beliefs in Christianity. If you are Yeshiva University in New York, you cannot maintain Orthodox Judaism's views on transgenderism without being sued, as they are right now. So, so much for the diversity of religion or religious beliefs. So the question remains, if diversity of race or ethnicity or sexual identity is the cause of diversity being our strength, why? Would Stanford hire Larry Elder as a law professor? He is certainly credentialed enough and would bring all the diversity under any definition one could want. Would Harvard? Never. So it's not race then, is it? It's race wedded to a certain belief system. And the moment it becomes a test of adherence to belief wedded to an immutable characteristic like race, what have you got? It isn't diversity. It is enforced conformism or unity. Proving diversity is, in fact, not our strength, at least to those who blather this phrase without thinking, but somehow knowing it is the shibboleth of essential meaning to state in certain audiences, even though upon examination, It is not only essentially meaningless, it turns out to be worse. It turns out to be untrue. There is one line, giving credit where it's due, in Michelle Obama's book I really did like. And actually, it did make sense to me. She wrote this, quote, Read books by people whose perspective is different from yours. Listen to voices you haven't heard before. Look for narratives that are new to you, close quote. The question I have is, does she mean it? And if she were put in charge of a college political science reading class, would she teach that and encourage that? Or to her, is that just so much blather? Would any college political science class, not at Hillsdale or Grove City or Pepperdine, would they? And what do you do with people who tell you diversity is our strength, but then tell you gender or sex are not binary? What does that say about diversity for women? which used to be a cause of our civil rights firmament. And what does diversity as our strength mean to those who support males calling themselves females wanting to compete in female athletics? 
Is it the embracing of diversity of gender fluidity or is it the collapsing of women's rights and making it less diverse for women? My proposal, my pitch, it's this. Can we just stop telling ourselves lies? And can audiences please just stop nodding in agreement when they hear them? This was the plea made famous in 1974 by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, imprisoned by a system whose whole edifice and structure was built on lies and a willingness to go along with them. The title of his essay then was called Live Not by Lies. I spoke in my monologue yesterday about how a society becomes numb and what devastation that can eventuate in over time. Solzhenitsyn had a good word for numb. It was inert. And in his essay, he pleaded this way, quote, Break out of the imaginary encirclement of our inertness, the easiest way for us and the most devastating for the lies. For when people renounce lies, lies simply cease to exist. Like parasites, they can only survive when attached to a person, close quote. Let us stop, please, before it's too late, attaching ourselves to them, even when they sound good, even when they are exquisite. And Governor Hobbs, next time there's a governor's prayer breakfast, check it out. You might hear something a lot of people call truth, which would in today's world be the essence of difference, if not diversity, especially this very time of year. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-5080-960. Give us a call. With so many cracks showing up in the banking system and over $31 trillion in U.S. Debt, just printing more money is no answer. Countries that have done that, like Venezuela or Argentina or Zimbabwe, they all suffered defaults as a result. But gold has never defaulted, and veteran-owned Midas Gold Group will reinforce your portfolio. Give them a call to look into safeguarding your money with the stability of gold while you still can. I trust them. Seb Gorka does. Thousands of you already do. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail. Think of Silicon Valley Bank or Credit Suisse or Signature Bank. Midas Gold Group believes we're in the early stages of a growing crisis, and the Fed's higher interest rates are your cue to create your own bank with real money, gold. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com, or better yet, call them at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Midas Gold Group. Gold you can hold and your vault of confidence. Well, this is wonderful news uh, on Passover and going into Good Friday, isn't it? Uh, Israel is uh, taking a barrage of rocket launches from the north, a barrage. Hamas factions fired Lebanon rocket barrage. Iran involvement possible is the headline here. Even though the barrage into Israel was fired from Hezbollah-controlled southern Lebanon, sources indicate that Hamas groups may be to blame. Wonderful going into uh, going into uh, this so pregnant of weeks, uh, weekends, really. Uh, so Hugh Hewitt, I guess, was making the point this morning. I was up early this morning uh, listening to Hugh talking about that breaking news, reminding that uh, Jewish holidays are particularly susceptible to attacks on Israel. Uh, this being Passover, he was... Uh, reminding that the 50-year anniversary of the 1973 Yom Kippur War is uh, nigh upon us. That would have been the, uh, the war in 1973 where Israel was attacked on its uh, holiest day uh, of the year. Um, but uh, Passover, also a day of 
of great celebration in Israel and, of course, heading into Easter as well. Hamas, no more friendly. Hezbollah, no more friendly to Christians than they are to Jews. And um, people talk about, you know, if Israel would only give up more land, this wouldn't happen. Hamas governs territory. You do know that. Hamas has its own government, has its own quasi-state. It's really its own state. It's just not recognized by the United Nations as a full state quite yet. But they they own Gaza. Israel withdrew from Gaza, lock, stock, and barrel. Completely left Gaza, turned it over to the Palestinians for elections, and they elected Hamas to govern and rule it. Well, 1967 territories still include portions of land that Israel is holding on to, you say, or you hear. Israel gave back more than 90% of the land taken in the 1967 war, a defensive war. 90%, over 90%. And as far as the lands of 1967 being the cause of wars against Israel or terrorism in it, you really need to ask yourself only one question, and really only one question. Yasser Arafat and the PLO, which runs the West Bank, known as the Palestinian Authority, why were they founded three years before 1967 if it were the lands of 1967 that was the problem? Because it isn't the lands of 1967 that are the problem. It's not the West Bank. It's not Gaza. It's not Sinai. It's all of Israel. It's all of Israel that's the problem to them. That's why the PLO was founded before there were such a thing as the lands of 1967. The PLO PLO was founded when Arabs controlled what is known as the West Bank. When Arabs controlled what is known as East Jerusalem. It was all... Illegally occupied, yes, true enough, but illegally occupied by Jordan, by the kingdom of Jordan. So it's just going to be a kind of sad thing to watch this go back and forth uh, in, in the Middle East. And, of course, with Iran's support of Hezbollah, as well as Hamas now, it's going to be an increasingly an increasingly tender situation given the White House here and this administration's posture, I should say posturing towards Iran and posturing against Israel. What a weird time we live in. The lies we tell ourselves include everything I just said about the Middle East that I tried to disassemble for you as well. Not living by lies. That call from Solzhenitsyn might be the ultimate call in saving the West. It might be. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. That's your barrier to entry. We're calling this Open Line Thursday, and the lines are open. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. I'm just looking at something Governor Katie Hobbs just did, and it might be one of the reasons she would have felt it hypocritical going to the prayer breakfast 
in her name and honor this morning. She has vetoed what is known as SB 1600, Senate Bill 1600, a bill that would have provided legal protections and ensured appropriate medical care for children who survived abortions. She vetoed that bill. This is a version of the, this was a state version of what was known in federal law as the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. You may recall these very gruesome stories that a nurse in Illinois was talking about, a nurse named Jill Stanick, some years ago, trying to persuade the Illinois legislature to ban this procedure, and it failed because one state senator named Barack Obama would not put his vote to protecting children who survived abortions. Children who survived abortions don't get the protection of the law? That's right. That's right, at least now not in Arizona. Um, and, and they didn't until Congress passed in the federal level and George Bush signed at the federal level the Born Alive Infant Protection Act because there was a circuit court opinion by a judge named Clement Hainsworth. Interestingly enough, a Republican judge who ruled under Roe versus Wade that a woman's right to a constitutionally protected abortion under Roe versus Wade, in his words, included the right to an effective abortion, an effective abortion, which meant if somehow the child, and it happened, and it happens, survives it, they can be, not be denied medical care. Denise Burke, who is uh, with the Alliance Defending Freedom, said today in light of Governor Hobbs's veto, every human life is valuable and every baby deserves to be protected. By rejecting critical legal protections for babies who survive abortions, Governor Hobbs has made it clear she would rather cater to the abortion industry than affirm the basic human rights of vulnerable children. Remember, we're not talking about in the womb anymore, folks. Her failure to protect the lives of children once they are outside of the womb is unthinkable and inexcusable. We're grateful to the Arizona lawmakers who took a strong stand for life by passing this vital legislation. While we are disappointed by Governor Hobbs's veto today, Alliance Defending Freedom will continue to work alongside legislators in Arizona and across the country to advance human rights and protect vulnerable babies. What a week to do this on. There's a debate going on right now across the country, and Mike Gallagher, colleague, has the morning show, obviously. Uh, many of you know him. Uh, has been talking a lot about this over the last few days, about how the issue of abortion has become such an Achilles heel for Republicans. And it's become that Achilles heel because Republicans are painted as extreme on the issue. And some state legislatures, no doubt, do engage in absurd, indefensible extremism. South Carolina happens to be one of them. Mike did a good job of explaining that this morning. But what could possibly be more extreme than this? What could possibly be more extreme than this? I believe Republicans are vulnerable on the issue when they run away from it, hide from it, cower from it, and refuse to explain the common sense of it and the common cause of it. 
when you think about these bans, like in the Dobbs decision out of Mississippi or here in Arizona, they are bans that comply where the vast majority of people already agree. They do protect first trimester abortions. I don't know why Republicans refuse to make the argument that 15-week bans include into the second trimester. I have no idea why we're afraid to talk about it. The extremism is not on our end. It's on theirs. Somehow, we just can't seem to muster either the intelligence, the grit, or the wit to make that point. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. How do you think this president is handling the economy, this administration, this Fed? We've got banks failing, stock market volatility, and perhaps a recession on the horizon. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, And no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like, where your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. It's a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. Talk to my friends at Y-Refi. They're based here locally. You can visit with them. You won't get a sales pitch. They leave that to me and Larry Elder. They're really trustworthy and honest and why Refi is also a due diligence approved firm. As I say, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return fixed. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. Well, this is just the kind of thing that creates all kinds of perverted rumors and propaganda. Out of Florida, the Miami Herald headline. This is the headline. Reading it to you directly. Son of Rebecca Jones, Florida whistleblower, arrested in probe of threatening Internet posts. Threatening Internet posts. Julie Brown, who works at the Miami Herald, puts it this way in a tweet. Breaking. 13-year-old son of Rebecca Jones, whistleblower who clashed with DeSantis, arrested over memes. Memes. So the 13-year-old son of a critic of Ron DeSantis is arrested over memes. That's the headline. Memes. That's what got him arrested. How evil is Ron DeSantis doing that? Let me ask you if this is a meme and if you'd arrest this 13-year-old for these memes. He posted on his social media, I want to shoot up my school. He wrote, if I get, gun, if I get a gun, I'm going to shoot up HNMS, LOL. Middle school, I assume, HN middle school, whatever his school is. He wrote, I'm getting a Wrath and Natural Selection shirt, so maybe I don't think many people know what the Columbine shooters look like. 
He writes, okay, so it's been like three to four weeks since I got on my new antidepressants, and they aren't working, but they're supposed to be, so I have no hope in getting better. So why not kill the losers at school? Memes. Arrested for these memes. They're memes. We had a call. Was it earlier this week, I believe it was? A call about school safety and what we should be doing more about and with regard to school safety. It's interesting how unserious the media is taking this. During uh, 2020, some colleagues and I were asked by a few different candidates to put together a school safety proposal for them. A school safety plan, a school safety agenda. One of the things we wrote for these candidates was that most school shootings share one thing in common, which is at once sad but also good news. We went and talked to all the experts we could get in touch with. We talked to a lot of experts. Almost every time a child or young adult decides to take the lives of others, Other people at least had an inkling, if not actual knowledge, of the plan beforehand. That's good and bad news. In other words, the incubating assailant showed flashing red lights and sounded sirens that constituted or should have constituted warning signs that should not have been ignored. This simple fact acknowledges the import of prevention about these things. Every school, we said, every school should have a support and safety campaign. If there are warning signs of a student preparing to drop out of school, being bullied, bullying, using harmful substances, or engaging in anything like suicidal ideation or homicidal fantasy, a line of reporting that is received by the proper school authorities should be established and made widely known. In other words, what happened here is exactly what should have happened here. A 13-year-old was broadcasting homicidal fantasy. A 13-year-old was threatening to shoot up a school more than once. And what does the media do with it? Again, from the Miami Herald journalist on Twitter. 13-year-old son of Rebecca Jones, whistleblower who clashed with DeSantis, arrested over memes. Now, how many people do you think will get the story that Ron DeSantis is arresting the children of his political opponents? How many people you think will take that narrative? Most. How many people you think will take the time to look at just what these Internet posts were? The very kinds of posts we should be on the lookout for and getting those kids out of that school when they post them. Any way you can. Any way you can. Kudos for the resource officers who got that school, that excuse me, who made that school safe and got that kid out of there. Shame on the reporters who write it up as this kid being arrested over memes anti-DeSantis memes of his of his mom. Shame on him. Shame on them all. And then we'll be told because we can't be 100% impermeable 
and watertight on these things will be told again and again and again and again after story after story of these permeable incidents that we're not doing enough. This is exactly what you need to be doing. You do not politicize these things. This is a child who has obviously mental health disturbances, at least by his own testimony, at least by his own social media writings. He has a problem, or several. And he, th- and he threatened to attach violence to that problem, violence against others, invoking not o- only Columbine, but his own school and his fellow students. Used the word shooting. The law authorities should be praised to the hills for what happened, not having it turned into an anti-Ron DeSantis tweet. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Doug is in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. Hi, Seth. How are you doing today? I am doing just fine. It's nice to hear from you going into this weekend. Yes, I. I it's great to listen to you, and I, I you add clarity to somewhat murky and swampy water. So <laughs> I appreciate it. You're kind. Hey, uh, you brought up abortion, and I think over our many conversations, you, you, and I think most people understand that I'm a very pro-life, um, you know, to, to wait to the extreme where my son-in-law was the uh, product of a rape. And we thank God every day that we have this incredible young man. Um, you know, as, as was said on the movie, Rob Roy, when someone asked him, you know, whether his wife who was raped and she was pregnant, whether they should get rid of it, he said, "How I feel is that the baby is not the one that sinned." You know. Yeah. But no. two of my that, former in-laws that, were. Two of my former in-laws were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you know this. I, w- I was mar- I, I was once married, <laughs> and uh, yeah. anyway, it was very all very amicable. But um, uh, her parents adopted uh, my then wife's parents adopted many, many children, two of whom were products of rape. Yeah, and, and, and their, their soul, is are, they're the innocents in everything, yeah. and we often make them pay the price for the evil of a, uh, you know, heartless person, mm-hmm. you know. But that said, I would like to say that we on the right, and conservatives and Republicans, I should say in general, we tend to do two wrongs in, in the sense and to our cause is that we tend oftentimes to be afraid of it, so therefore we back away and don't talk about it. I believe that's wrong because then there's only one side that is teaching and talking about it, you know, and that is often done with the establishment. Don't yeah, talk we just about leave it. the field. We just vacate yeah. the field, you know. Yeah, and, and remember, even when I talk about you know, discipline with kids. I don't view it as discipline. I view everything as teaching, yep. teaching, teaching, right. teaching, right. storytelling, examples, and yep. all of that is stuff. You know, it's teaching, and the left does teaching, and we go well. You teach we the want... behavior you expect, right? A wise yeah. woman once now, told me that. In, in all relationships, Doug, this is such a big issue. Can I can I indulge you just to hold because. Can we? Can we? Yeah. Can, can I? I got to take a commercial break, a top of the hour news break. This is so big. Can I? Can I ask you for just a little more time? Just let me no, put you I on hold and to. stick with me, and we'll bring it up at the top of the hour here in a few moments. Yep. 
Can you do that for Will me? Will do. Thank you. I yep, appreciate you it. Thank you very much. I'm Seth Liebson, and there's room for more as well. 602-508-0960. Your show will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.